you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today, I have somebody back who hasn't been on the show for a while, but Jason was on episode 87 and 88 back in season two of the Author to Authority podcast. Jason, I cannot believe it's been almost two years since you've been on the show. It seems like it wasn't that long ago in one side of my brain. And then it also seems like it was forever ago uh, when I was in the process of the final edits and then printing of my uh, first book. But yes, that uh, that was quite a long time ago. <laughs> so Jason Cutter is the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group and is a mindset and scalability expert. And even though he doesn't have a sales upbringing or background, his degree is in marine biology. And I'm sure you could find some way to equate marine biology with sales. Um, he does know what it takes to be successful in sales and build profitable teams. His books, podcasts, and work with clients are focused on helping close more deals, make more money, and produce scalable results. So welcome back to the show, Jason. Thank you for having me, Kim. So Jason, since it's been quite a while since our Author to Authority listeners have heard from you, and of course, we're streaming live on LinkedIn, so welcome to everyone watching on LinkedIn as well. Why don't you reintroduce yourself again, share a little bit of story, and uh, let us know how did you become the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group? Yeah, so I was raised by a banker mom and an engineer dad. My banker mom specifically hates, uh, still to this day, hates the old school classic pushy salesperson. Uh, I was also a late blooming, awkward, bullied uh, child, only child with two analytical young parents. Uh, they're still together to this day, but in my mind, I was like, I definitely don't want to deal with people. I'm not a, not a big fan of people at scale. And uh, I went into marine biology. In fact, now when looking back and everything, even since we talked a couple of years ago, Kim, is you know one of the punchlines I use is at one point in my life, I was standing on a boat surrounded by great white sharks. I remember the day we had three great whites circling us. And in that moment, that was still a safer, smarter career choice than dealing with humans. Like in my <laughs> brain, I was like, nope, like this is, this is great. I will deal with the, like sharks are, you know, most people are afraid of sharks, but there's one thing on their mind. They go one direction. They have one mode. They have one business end you have to watch out for. And it's, they're semi-predictable, even if it's scary and dangerous. Humans, on the other hand, you never know what you're going to get. And they're, they're scary and dangerous in many other ways because, you know, humans, all of us, myself included, where we can be very unpredictable. 
life took me all kinds of different directions. Uh, ended up in a sales role. I'm going to use air quotes in uh, 2002. I was in the mortgage business. I say air quote sales because it was really order taking because it was a real estate boom and an interest rate boom like we just had. Uh, I didn't learn anything about sales, but I was 27 just getting into it. And I equated what I did with just helping people. I literally didn't put the sales label on whatever I did for the longest time because I just thought I was helping people. Fast forward 20 years to, to this year, uh, and now with starting my consulting company, the biggest thing that I found in my career of sales that I love doing the most was helping companies, helping teams improve, and then just teaching, coaching, training, and encouraging those light bulb moments of people who probably like myself, weren't sure what to do in sales, don't know how to be successful. People aren't really teaching them or coaching them, or they're just kind of stuck and they don't know how to do it, but they want to be successful. And so that's the kind of uh, salespeople I love helping the most, which is where they've got the potential and they just need to understand, you know, a different way of, of going about it, in, it to be successful for them and their customers. You know, I just had to laugh when you said it was easier dealing with sharks than it was with humans. Now, I could probably agree with that if I was standing on the boat. I'm not sure I'd agree with that if I was in the water with them. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely not. I mean, you know, they're obviously they have the advantage in the water because that's their home court and that's where we get in trouble because we can't move as fast. Um, but either way, it's still predictable, right? Like I see a bunch of people who are in the water with them and nothing bad happens because you, you, you know, there's again, there's one business end to deal with, unlike humans. Well, and the other thing with sharks, too, is if they're not hungry and you're not threatening them, they're not going to do anything to you. Yeah. And, and here's the biggest thing. And this is what I realized because for the longest time, I didn't talk about the marine biology degree, um, you know, and just my windy path because I was kind of ashamed because I didn't follow the standard um, American dream path of getting a degree, getting a job, being in that, like, you know, that thing that doesn't exist anymore at scale anyway. Um, and then for the longest time, I didn't want to mention the marine biology and the sharks when dealing with sales and teams, because obviously there's a negative connotation of, of sharks as salespeople. Um, but the biggest thing that I realized is that there's over 400 species of sharks, mm -hmm. but there's only about a dozen or so that are dangerous to people and only a couple that really can do much harm. Otherwise they're dangerous, they bite and then they move on, which means most of them are not harmless and they actually provide a very important function in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. We didn't have sharks, you know, keeping things healthy and clean it would be a mess. And then I started to compare that with salespeople as well as there's millions and millions of people in sales. There are a small minority that cause the problems that do the bad things that don't care about people. But there's so many people in sales or people who want to be in sales that could do a lot of good, valuable service for their customers. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just a bad reputation, right? It's an inappropriate, unfortunate reputation for both sharks and salespeople when they both can be very good, especially when it's, you know, understood. I can relate to your story. I mean, I did not take a traditional path into business. Um, I was, you know, I got out of high school. I was married with my 20, had my first kid when I was 20, my second when I was 22. You know, my route to sales was through network marketing for many, many years. And then I fell into becoming a publisher. So one of the things I think is important in sales is, is that we don't negate the importance of our own stories in terms of the selling experience. It's, it's those things that made us who we are today. And I think, you know, you don't have to have this amazing sales story, quote unquote, to be good in sales or even use your story, 
you know, as part of the, the sales experience, which is one of the things we're going to talk to today about. You want to talk about reasons not to focus on the sales experience. So just before you do that, though, because, um, you know, I think the last time we talked, like you said, you know, you were getting your book out, but you've got a podcast now, too. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had a podcast early on, even when I was on yours, and I've just continued. I've taken a couple of season breaks, if you will. Uh, it's always been a five-day-a-week podcast, and then I ended up with three podcasts at one time, and so I scaled the five-day back to, to like two days. So I was averaging about three to four days a week in podcasts and then consolidated down to one. But yeah, the Authentic Persuasion Show is the main podcast that I focus on. Um, and again, anything sales, sales leader, business, it's just, I have different focus on the, on each day of the week, just to help people in different ways, because, you know, so many people out there either leading a team or they're in a sales role. And it's like, you know, how do I win? How do I succeed at, you know, like you said, being authentic and telling your story and, and being who you are instead of trying to pretend. I see so many people pretending to be the salesperson they think that they're supposed to be in order to win in sales. Uh, and A, it's usually gross. And B, it's not authentic. And so it doesn't work. And people can see through it, which makes it feel even more gross and wrong, which then just makes it harder to sell. So it's just like this vicious cycle to stop. When we're done here, Jason, I might have a couple of really, really amazing guests who are clients of mine um, that I think you have to have on the show. One of them, Larry Levine, his book, Selling from the Heart. Yep. Uh, another good friend, uh, Mike Garrison, uh, just released his book, Can I Borrow Your Car? And he is one of the most incredible experts on referral marketing and how you can build a business um, using referrals. So I will connect you with those two because those are two amazing men I think would be fantastic guests for for your podcast and for your audience. Yeah, and Larry Levine's been on mine and I've been on his. When I was actually writing my my first book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, a bunch of people in my LinkedIn community I told about, they're like, oh, that sounds like Larry Levine's book, Selling from the Heart. Oh, that sounds like Bob Berg's Go-Giver. And I'm like, stop, let me just write my book. Like I was like, I, I, I put that all off, but I've had Bob Berg and Larry on my uh, on show. And, and just uh, what I love is the community of people who are focused on helping people sell in a different way and just getting rid of the old tactics. I'll, I'll say it many times, probably in our podcast today, but like the gross pressure, manipulation tricks, the games, like just stop. Like that doesn't work, which I know we're going to talk about today. Uh, you know, what does work? Because Larry's my client. I've had him on the podcast and Bob Berg was the first guest on the author to authority podcast. So oh, that's amazing. two amazing men, obviously. So, Jason, I'm going to let you loose because I know you have a lot to teach and train on here on the reasons not to focus on the sales experience. And I'm really curious to hear what you've got for us today. Yeah. So there's a book that I wrote, my co-author, Nick Glimsdahl, on this most recent book that I published. And it's called Reasons Not to Focus on the Sales Experience, is really sitting down and thinking about what what matters? And of course, you know, I'll just say it right now. The punchline is there are no reasons not to focus on the sales experience. Um, so many companies out there are just stuck in the, the mode uh, or people who end up in sales or even people like I think about, you know, the makeup of your audience and the people who might be tuning in, which is people who write a book or want to write a book and get it out there as an authority piece in order to then, you know, 
get clients, whether it's consulting, speaking, coaching, things like that, or just growing their business or having something that separates them from others. It's why I wrote my first book. Um, and you know, so many people think sales is about the, the tricks and the games, the numbers game, right? Where it's okay, well, you know, I just have to have this many appointments and I have to, you know, if I call this many people and send thousands of emails, I'll be able to get the clients and and some of that's important from a uh, activity standpoint, right? You can't just sit around, sit on the couch and, and think positive thoughts and, and uh, you know, uh, meditate on it, hope that business is going to come to you, right? Like that's not a field work. of dreams. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't work, right? My mentor has this from his, somebody he took it from, uh, David Meltzer, and he says it's the law of Goya, get off your ass, right? Like you can't just sit there and just think positive thoughts and, and, and hope it's gonna come. You have to actually then get up and go after it. But I think one of the big things is that a lot of people in sales just think it's the old way to do it. And here's the fundamental, two really, really important things to remember if you're in a sales role and we can argue or debate or talk about, I think everything in life is sales and persuasion, right? Like you're, you want somebody to go with you to the movies or you want your kids to do something you want them to do. Like there's some elements to all of that, but fundamentally when you're doing it for business purposes, you always have to remember the person you're talking to, the potential customer that you're dealing with, they fundamentally only care about themselves which is super important to understand. Humans have the natural tendency to see themselves as the center of the universe, right? That everything revolves around them. Um, I know for myself, and I can't imagine anyone else, when, when I go to the grocery store, I'm not walking around the grocery store thinking I'm just an extra in somebody else's movie, right? Like I'm like some B character going up and down the aisles and that woman's like her hero story, right? Like it's all about her. Like, no, it's all about me and everyone. I don't know why they're not interested in me or, you know, why they might get in their way or why they leave their cart in my way. Like, I think it's all about me and I don't understand it. Because you need to eat. <laughs> I need to eat and it's my adventure and it's my life and it's the movie in my head, right? As humans, we have that focus. And so we think, we all do at some level, that everything revolves around us. And that's okay, right? Part of the human condition is our survival and success on this planet, thanks to things like that, right? Like making ourselves a priority so that we can survive long enough to procreate, and that's what we do, right? So with that in mind, when you're dealing with someone and you wanna to sell to them, the challenge is, is they only care about themselves, they don't care about you. And then the other part that's mixed in, and so many companies don't understand this and salespeople don't understand it, is you as a salesperson, you think you're amazing, you're special, you're fantastic, you're unique. You think, you think you're the center of the universe, which of course, you're also human. Um, but the problem is, is your potential customers, they just see you as a commodity. They do not think you are as special as you think you are, right? They think I could find five other, 10 other, 15 other people, companies, coaches, consultants that do what you do well enough. Like I don't need you. That's what they're thinking, right? And I've done a lot of thinking about this, like other than Apple, which owns the market on iPhones. If you want an iPhone, it's made by Apple. You don't have a choice take it or leave it. You pay their prices. You put up with their crappy service and their crappy <laughs> battery life and their crappy everything. But if you want it, you only have one choice. Not all smartphones, phones in general, but if you want an iPhone. Otherwise, everyone else has competition and your customers literally see you as a commodity. I so agree. 
one of the things I wrote about in my author to authority book is, you know, how do you stand out? And I equated it to, you know, walking into a grocery store and you're in the light bulb aisle and, you know, there's this bin with light bulbs in it. And which light bulb do you pick? Because they all look the same. The box looks the same. What's in them looks the same. So, you know, how do you pick? Well, you just grab the first one. Okay. The light bulbs aren't broken. You walk away, right? That's it. You know, so how do you stand out? You have, you have to stand out if you want. I think visibility is the key to at least getting a person's attention so that you can show them that you are a different type of salesperson that does truly care about them and their needs. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I still see as a constant way that people are making it difficult on themselves from a marketing, a branding, and a sales standpoint is the thought and not being able to understand what your role really should be from the marketing to the sales, right? Posting on mm -hmm. LinkedIn to what you're, you're saying to potential clients, to what you're emailing, what you're messaging. Again, we go to this, go back to what I started with, which is everyone thinks they're the center of the universe. They think they are the hero of the story. Nobody goes through life wanting to be like one of the mushroom guys or one of the one of the turtle guys. Everyone thinks they're Mario when they're playing the game in their life. And when you play video games, you never play like a, a third character who's going to die. You play the main character. The problem is, is when someone's in sales, when someone is an authority, when someone thinks they have the solution and they're amazing and everyone should want it, they're in hero mode as well. And the problem is, is you can only have one hero in the story. And the short yeah. version of this, and I do a longer one with the trainings and the keynotes, but the short version is there's a hero, there's a sidekick, and there's a villain. If you're not careful from a sales perspective, people will put you in the non-hero buckets, right? The sidekicks and the villains. If you want to stand out, if you want to get the attention you're talking about for something that's a considered purchase, not a light bulb or paper towels or, or sodas, right? It, even then, that's like more of a branding marketing. That's, that's a different game. But for the people that we're talking about, whether you're selling for a company or you're, you're your own solopreneur, is you've got to remember that person only cares about themselves. So instead of doing all of your marketing, your messages, your conversations about here's me and I'm amazing, and here's what I do and here's how I help people and here blah, 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 redo all of that to focus on the other person and where they're at now and where they want to be, and then how you can guide them through without it sounding like you. Like if you go to most websites, most websites are like, I do this, I'm amazing, I help people like this, here's all my logos and brands. And the problem is, is people don't care, right? Like Bob Berg says in his book, people, people will do business with people they know, like, and trust. They first they have to know you, they have to like you, then they have to trust mm -hmm. you. Usually that's not because you're barraging them with how amazing you are. You know, when you were talking, I was, you were talking about Mario, but I was thinking about Star Trek. Okay. You know, the, the, the lieutenant or the ensign or whatever, and that specific color shirt, cause it changed depending on, you know, which show you're on, yep. but also, you know, it was always that person that got killed off. Yep. You know, and you knew if you were that character on the show that it was a one-time thing and you would be killed off because you were the person in the colored <laughs> shirt. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, one thing I was thinking about is when I redid my website the first time I've redone it a couple times. I'm in the process of redoing it again. <laughs> I actually wrote my bio to the person who was reading it. The bio wasn't about me. The bio, I made my bio about them and then used my experiences in life to help them with something. And I've actually written people's bios that way 
Because when somebody reads a bio, you read, I am the blah, 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 blah. And you, they don't even finish it. But people read my bio because I make my bio about the person who's reading it, not about me. Yeah. And the key is, is you and I are not saying those things aren't important, right? The credibility, the trust things, the, the social proof, the testimonials, all that stuff is important. The problem is, is people don't care about those first. I built a sales model and I work on it with teams and individuals to kind of shift the focus of instead of just talking about yourself first, you've got to deal with the other person and where they're at, what they want. And then at some point at the right point in the process and conversation, now you can talk about yourself and why you are the authority and why you are the guide and why you are the mentor that can help them get to where they need to be. But in the beginning, they don't care about your credentials. They want to know how you're going to help them. And it's all about them. And I love that when you write that. Um, <clears throat> I see that on LinkedIn a lot where there's just bios that people fill up their 2,600 words and uh, they just, it's like all about them and all of their amazing stuff. And I'm like, I got it. You're amazing. Right. But like, why do I care? Why should I care? Uh, why does it matter to me? And that's the question that, you know, most bios don't necessarily answer. Mm -hmm. So what would be your suggestion on some ways that, you know, if, if you're in, in sales and, or, you know, you own a company and you have to sell, how can you make it about the other person? Well, I think that the first part is you have to be intentional. The, 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 the first step of the 12 steps is always the hardest, right? Admitting that you have a problem. And I always joke about that, but it's it's true, right? Because again, if not careful, we all as humans will just be on autopilot. We will do what we think is right and we will sell in that mode. We will think we're the hero and sell in that mode. And then we will also sell to everybody like we like to buy because we is subconsciously want to follow the golden rule and we think we want we want to treat other people like we want to be treated so i'm going to sell to you like i like to buy and then when that happens it's really ineffective as well so the first part is being aware of that right like i work with so many people where that's that's the the big challenge and then once you're aware of it a lot of stuff becomes easier because now you can extract yourself from autopilot especially if you're a solopreneur and you've never been trained to sell you don't know how to sell and you think you know what sales is or you want to do the opposite of what you see in Boiler Room and Wolf of Wall Street. And so you don't want to be that person. And so you just kind of wing it. That doesn't work either. But you want to have a process. You've got to be able to build some rapport, ask questions, go into discovery mode, use empathy, active listening, and really spend time getting to know what somebody wants and why they want it. And then where is that intersection with you? right? With whatever you're selling, where is that? And do that first, build your process where it's not about me telling you how amazing I am, right? Like this is about me trying to figure out, can I help you? If I can help you, what might that look like? Now, let me talk about myself and then let me talk about the solution and then let's move forward. I so agree, Jason. I want to switch gears here because you, you've written, you, you had your first book coming out the first time you're on. You just said about another book. Yep. So let's talk about, about your books for a couple of minutes. So share us a little bit more about that journey. So first one was uh, brutal and painful, um, just being honest. Uh, I actually had someone helping me and guiding me as a coach through the process. Uh, that first one I wrote uh, pretty quickly. Uh, and that was about 55,000 words. 
uh, read it a few months later and then threw it away because it was garbage and and soulless in my mind. Not just being overly critical, but just like I read through, I was like, what is the point? This is a mess. Uh, threw it away, uh, rewrote it from scratch a second time, and uh, then went through very long editing process because the challenge I had was not knowing when to just stop. Uh, if I could do it all over again, I would probably change most of it anyway because of what I've learned. But you, at some point, you have to just let it go. So that was a good process. Very excited to have it. Love having that book. It's just one of those things that I know sets me apart. I'll also say, because this is, a, it's not even a humble brag, it's just an exciting brag at this point. Um, when I wrote the book, it was for authority, for you know, business purposes, not to sell it by the the millions and, you know, go Bob Berg mode, right? So for me, it was a little bit different. Recently, that book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, has been selected and is being used as the curriculum and course textbook for Utah State University's pro sales class. So right now, there's 75 college students going through a sales course at Utah State University, and they're using my book as the textbook and answering discussion posts. And uh, tomorrow night, you know, we're doing this on Monday. Tomorrow night, I have my third virtual Zoom session with the classroom. They're all in the class, and I'm doing some guest lectures from afar, and we're turning it into a certification program. And I never would have thought when I wrote that book that this is where it would go. Uh, and super excited to get it in the hands of more people because a lot of people get into sales, they get kind of stuck in their way or they get, they get you know, in what they think works, whether it does or not. But to be able to affect the future of sales, right? Younger people, mostly younger people in this class who are just venturing out to go get professional sales jobs, to show them and guide them in a different way. What's so exciting is it's just as a customer, I am self-centered because I want to have a better experience. And so uh, really excited for, for that book and what's happened over the last couple of years. Well, congratulations, Jason. That is awesome. And I, I just wanted to mention to, to the listeners, you know, we think of publishing our books and getting them out there. But for many of you, not everyone, but for many of you, the topics that you cover are taught in colleges and universities. And if you can make that connection. So Jason, let me ask you a question. Because I, you know, I've got a few of my clients who are doing that, who are making those connections with colleges and universities. How did you go about that? Um, there's actually a association, a, a loose association for colleges with this kind of a program. Um, and I had ended up actually, I didn't even know that existed. Somebody through LinkedIn had done a guest lecture for Oregon State University's program with Caitlin Gill. And then I saw their post and I was like, that would be amazing. This was a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And so I reached out to that professor and I was like, is that a thing? Can I just pro bono? Like just, I just want to show up on zoom and just, like, it would just be fun. Right. Instead of doing a webinar, let's do a, a training for a class. Um, and I did that like three times and then found out about a network of other schools and then just networked with different schools through LinkedIn. Some are very open-minded and, and willing mm -hmm. to chat and others are very close-minded, uh, especially in the sales world. They are very pay to play. They take corporate sponsors and they don't let anybody but their paid corporate sponsors talk to their students. And, and that's the game that they play. Not right or wrong, but so many of them are just like, nope, we're not talking to anybody. We don't care. And so you know, persistence and just getting, getting to the right people who have the right mindset, you know, playing the long game. I love the word that you use persistence because you can't, you can't quit when you get the first no. Yeah. Cause the way I look at it, if somebody else has done it, then I can do it too. And sometimes you have to figure out how, and like you said, you, you went through the process of, 
you know, connecting with different people, finding out about them, you know, asking questions and all that. So I think that is amazing. So we are just about out of time, Jason. Uh, how can people connect with you and how can they get your books? Connect with me. Uh, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, just send me a connection request. We'll chat on here. Uh, I do a lot of the regular engagement on LinkedIn. Otherwise, uh, email is good. Jason at Cutter Consulting Group com Jason at cutterconsultinggroup.com or you can go to cutterconsultinggroup.com which is a hub for salespeople and leaders and business owners and there's different content that's separated out uh, and then you can always reach out to me through there you can find my books either directly through me you can order them through me and I will send them out signed or you can go on Amazon and again I have the the uh, selling with authentic persuasion the reasons not to focus on the sales experience and then I was also a contributing author for voices for leadership so since you and I talked I now have three published books and then uh, I think three more next year scheduled so far Jason, that is awesome. That is amazing. So proud of you. Thank you. So the other thing is, is if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, so Word Ninja Kim, feel free to connect with me. Uh, you can find Jason through mine as well, because we are connected on LinkedIn together. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you again. And I didn't even tell you this. But this is the 300th episode yes. of the Author to Authority podcast. Well so I just wanted to take a minute and thank you listeners for supporting the podcast. It has been quite an adventure. When I started this in uh, 2019, I never thought it would really go anywhere. And, you know, now 300 episodes later, I am just so thankful and grateful and appreciative to you, the listener. And my promise to you is to continue bringing these amazing experts that are just going to help you take your business to the next level. So this has been Jason Cutter and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The Extraordinary Word Ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.